0: Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. I am excited about being with you and I believe that the word I have on my heart will be an encouragement for you and tie right in with what your pastor experienced during a crisis even in another country and so That's going to be very good. I feel real good about that. We just released our new book, Identity Theft, and that will be available at the back. And uh, this deals with man in Adam and our lost identity and what happened to Adam in the fall and how that many people live their entire life laboring under a false identity, an imposed identity, a confused identity, And you cannot fulfill your destiny unless you know who you are, specifically no longer in Adam, but now in Christ. And so this book deals with that. This is for a cost, but all of my messages are absolutely free. There's over 1,400 that are logged on the Internet that you can download for free. You're welcome to any and all of those at no cost to you. And since those days of cassette tapes... uh, they say this isn't a big deal now, because a lot of ministries do give away their, their messages now, but that, that wasn't true in 1983 when I started, and uh, we've given away now over 50 million messages absolutely free, so it's a joy to, to serve you in that capacity. I'd just like to give this book away to anybody that would really want it, that first one up, only one up, that's the guy I want to give it to right there, God bless you, Awesome. All right, if you have your digital Bibles or your hard copy, let's go to Romans chapter 8. And I want to share on the subject of condemnation and how that we are free from condemnation and how that God is not the author of any condemnation, any wrath in the earth right now or punishment in the earth. And there are a lot of things going on around the world where unfortunately even God's people are confused And they think God's the author of all these tragedies. God's the author of all these earthquakes. And God's the author, and He's punishing nations. And He's punishing people and pouring out wrath and curses because of our sin and things of that nature. And so I want to deal with this as quick as I can. I really believe that I'm going to kickstart a few issues to help you individually. And you're going to have to walk it through. But I'll kickstart it for you. And then secondly, I'm telling you, you come in contact With people every single day of your life who do not know the goodness of God, who do not understand the cross and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you're going to be blessed so that you can be a blessing to everyone you come in contact with. Father, I just thank you that you have freed us from condemnation, that you are a good God. And Lord, I ask you to forgive us, your people, for misrepresenting you, for not knowing your true nature, your true character. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and clearing up the muddy water. Thank you for coming and showing us what God's like and how He is, and what His personality is. You are the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and we are now complete in you. Thank you, Father, for revealing your nature, your goodness, in the person of Jesus, and now by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Amen and amen. Well, because of time constraints... I like to teach in series, I like to build and grow and, and, and keep pushing into the kingdom of God and issues of the kingdom. I'm not going to be able to do that, so verses, or excuse me, the book of Romans, chapter 8 is where I want to start, but it starts off with the word, therefore. The first word is therefore, and you can't hardly start off a conversation with therefore, because you need to know what the therefore is there for, Amen. It connects to something. And so before he makes this declaration of our freedom in Christ Jesus and why and how we're free from condemnation, we have to look at chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. And we can't do that in a setting like this. But let me just summarize. Chapter 1 all the way to chapter 8, it deals with righteousness and being made righteous with God by faith in the cross. Paul says in chapter 1, he's not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to anyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And then in verse 18 he says, For therein, the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. See, righteousness with God is revealed, not earned. Righteousness with God is a revelation of the cross. It's in the cross, not in your personal holiness. And so chapter two goes on to talk about who the Jew of God is now and that how those of us that have accepted Jesus have been engrafted into the family of God. Chapter three deals with the law and deals with why God gave the law and how that law and the law of Moses was given to reveal sin. Man, I wish I could go over there. That was a big big deal in my life coming up in church and never hearing righteousness by faith preached. And in Romans chapter 3 verse 19, it tells you the purpose of the law was to make us all guilty before God. It was to shut our mouth up before God. And, it, and then it says, for in the law is the revelation of sin. I could use a nod to God at least on that. You know that's in there, right? It says that the law revealed sin. I grew up in church and was taught that the law, or Moses, came to reveal God. And that's why people have a perverted understanding of God. They think He's mad, He's mean, He's angry. He's killing people, He's making people sick, He's pouring out curses. Because under the law, all sin was revealed and wrath from heaven was revealed on sin. The purpose of Moses and the law was to make sin known. To reveal sin. Somebody says, well, why, why is that a good thing? That sounds like a bad thing. No, if you don't know you have sinned, you can't be made righteous now by faith. The purpose of the law was to drive you to Christ, to drive you to faith, and be made right with God by faith, because it should be evident no man can keep the law. And if you're going to be made right with God by the law, you're going to have to be perfect in word, thought, and deed. Anybody need help besides me? Amen. I may be better than anybody. I may be able to keep the law of Moses better than anybody, but who wants to be the best sinner that goes to hell? Amen. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned in thoughts. We've all sinned in word and we've all sinned in deed. And the purpose of the law is to reveal sin so that you see you need to be saved. You need God. You're lost and without hope, without God. And so the purpose of the law is to reveal sin. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to reveal God. If you want to know what God looks like, you go to Jesus. If you want to know what's wrong, you go to Moses. If you want to be made right, you better come to Jesus. Hallelujah. The law reveals my sin and shows me I messed up and drives me to Jesus. And Jesus, by my faith, cleans me up now and washes me in the blood of the Lamb. I didn't understand those things. And because I was raised in a church that only knew God after Moses, we were sin conscious, and everybody was afraid of God, and everybody thought when they got sick, God made them sick. When they lost a spouse, God took them. If they lost a child, God forbid, I think that's the greatest pain on the planet. After pastoring now for over 35 years, the loss of a child seems to be the, the deepest pain that I've experienced helping helping people. But God's not killing our babies. God's not making us sick. God's not killing our kids. God's not creating all this chaos in the earth. And yet he gets blamed for so much because people do not understand the cross. They do not understand grace. They do not understand the work of Jesus and why Jesus came and how that Jesus now has made a way for me to be made righteous by faith in the presence of God. Of God, and So chapter 4 goes into the blessedness of a man made right without works. Abraham discovered that a man is made right independent. Boy, I'm still in the introduction. This is not going well. <laughs> chapter 4 talks about how Abraham was made righteous before God without works. And that he discovered how a man is blessed independent of personal holiness. And then it talks about David. And it gives David, a man under the law, Abraham was a man before the law of Moses and he discovered righteousness by faith. David was a man under the law who committed two major transgressions that under the law you couldn't be forgiven. There was no sacrifice for adultery that could be offered and and you'd be made right. And there was no sacrifice offered for murder. Am I going too fast? Everybody knows the Bible here tonight. Usually I go a whole lot slower because you got people that have never seen a Bible in a lot of our services. And I'm not being mean about that. I'm saying they, they have no idea what I'm talking about. Are most of you saved? How many of you saved? Okay, that's not all of you. This is not good. How many of you are saved? Revival just broke out. Everybody got saved. David, King David, who's who I'm talking about, this man committed adultery with one of his best friends, Uriah the Hittite, and then had him murdered. And it says in chapter 4 that David discovered the blessedness of being made right with God without works. You need to let that sink in. He discovered under the old covenant law that under the law, a man cannot be made right with God. It is impossible. And what I have done is so bad. After the law, there's no hope for me. But he found grace under the old covenant law and received his forgiveness from God and wound up becoming one of the best kings Israel ever had. And so chapter 5 goes into two men and how Adam got got us into this mess. Only Jesus can get us out of this mess. Chapter 6 talks about how you overcome sin by the death of the old man and the renewing of your mind to the new man. Chapter 7 goes on to talk about how there's no good thing in us, that is to say our flesh. But how many of you know there is a good thing in you if you're saved? Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's in your spirit man, amen? Amen. And your spirit man is holy. Your spirit man has been made righteous. All right, that's as fast as I could do it. Chapter 8 opens up with the word, Therefore. Okay, I was hoping to get a better response out of you. (laughs) The first time I said, therefore, blank. When you look at chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, and you go, therefore, now you're supposed to go, hallelujah. (laughs) Therefore, if any man be in Christ, chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, or there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, And after all of these years, I cannot read that without just everything within me just truly leaping on the inside. Because Jesus has made me free from condemnation by what He did on the cross. Verse 4 is what makes verse 1 possible. Verse 4, if you'll go back to verse 4, notice it starts off with, Three, where's four start? Let's go back to three. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. What was it that the law, the law of Moses is what it's talking about. What could it not do because of the weakness of my flesh? It could not make me righteous with God. It could show me where I was wrong. It could show me my sin. It could make me guilty before God. It could condemn me so that I wouldn't trust in myself. But because of the weakness of my flesh, I couldn't keep it. Some of you are looking at me like maybe you could. No. You and I could not keep it because of the weakness of our flesh. So what the law could not do In that it was weak through the flesh. What could it not do? Make me righteous before God. God sent Jesus, listen, and condemned sin in His flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in me because I'm not walking after the flesh anymore but after the Spirit. God took your sin and my sin. God took the sins of the world, listen, and condemned them in the flesh of Jesus. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we being dead to sin should now live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are are healed. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Jesus didn't die for Jesus. Jesus died for you and me. Jesus had no sin of his own. Whose sin did he have then? Yours and mine. And what did God do? He condemned, he judged, he poured his wrath out. He poured all those curses of the law out on Jesus on the cross. Why'd God do that? So that I justly, by faith in Jesus, can be made the very righteousness of the law now. Because I'm not living independent of God anymore. I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me, and the very righteousness of that law, I've been made in my spirit man, in Jesus. See, Jesus came and did what I couldn't do, keep the law. Then he went to the cross and paid for what I did do, break the law. Then now, by faith, he makes me the very righteousness of the law. You know, I'm not being critical here, I don't know you well enough to really lean in and and chasing you on anything or discipline you. I love you. I'm just here to bless you. But a lot of churches want the excitement that comes. The passion that comes. The celebration that comes from a revelation of who Jesus is and what he did for you. And that's why a lot of our churches throughout our country, a lot of the worship is fabricated. A lot of the, the excitement is just flesh and they're just trying to gin things up. Let me just say to the worship team, you did a fantastic job. A fantastic job. If you go to church here, you need to praise God right now for your worship team. Right now. That means clap your hands. That means say thank you, Jesus. I pastor one church in 13 different locations now. And I'm telling you, to have a worship team that can worship with excellence and it not be a performance, but it still be high quality in excellence, but but go vertical versus horizontal. That, that's unfortunately hard to find. And, and the team did well. I can commend you for that. If you're going to have a church that's celebrating truly from the heart, if you're going to have a church, though, that's going to be passionate, they're going to have to understand how there is therefore now no condemnation. They're going to have to understand righteousness by faith. They're going to have to understand how much Jesus loves them and what Jesus has truly done for them because that's what ignites the passion and the excitement and the celebration that truly comes from the heart. When you see what Jesus did for you, it's impossible not to have passion. When you see what he did for you, when, he, when you see, I saw by revelation, I, I cover this in that book on identity theft. I had a vision in 1980, and I don't have time now to even get anywhere near that vision. But let me just say this. I had walked away from the Lord in guilt and condemnation. I had failed God so miserably. I felt like God, God called me when I was nine years old to do what I'm doing. Nine years of age in a home that wasn't serving God. And I literally felt so strong, the call of God on my life, that I packed a suitcase and was leaving home crying. A little bitty suitcase. And I was crying. And I went through the living room. And my dad, bless his heart, he's with the Lord now. I led him to the Lord years, years later. But... I'm crying, and he goes, boy, what's wrong with you? I said, I don't know. Well, actually, I said, I don't know. One word. (laughs) I don't know. you got to be in Oklahoma to really get that, I guess. But I don't know. And he said, why are you crying? I don't know. I don't know. Well, where are you going? I don't know. Well, what is wrong with you? I said, God spoke to me. And it just freaked him out. Because remember, in the world, people who say they hear God are about to kill their babies. They're about to go postal and shoot a bunch of people. And, and that's how confused the world is, and those in Adam are confused. But that's how real the call was on my life. But because I had no discipling, I had no church, I had no help, I failed God over and over, and I got so condemned that I just gave up when I was about 19. I, and I, I mean, I served God with everything I had until I was 19 years of age, and I just gave up. My brother got killed too long of a story. In 1980, I meet... Sue, that's my wife now, and in her living room, I have this open vision of the cross. She ministered to me for eight hours. Eight straight, well, we broke it up. Four hours and then four hours. She ministered to me for four hours. I couldn't take it, and so I left. And then I couldn't, couldn't stay gone. I went back, and she ministered to me for another four hours. And I had an open vision of the cross. And guess what I saw? I saw my identification with Christ. I saw Jesus, I can't tell you what he looks like, but I saw Jesus on the cross, but listen, I saw me inside of him. And I saw God's wrath come on me and kill me in him. And I saw him buried and I was in him when he was buried. And I saw him supernaturally raised from the dead, but I was raised from the dead. Inside of him. And I saw him ascend. And I saw him seated on a throne. And I was in him seated on the throne now. Ruling reigning. I saw the whole gospel supernaturally. It took three months for me to quit crying. And quit and get my act back together. And dig this out. And it shocked me how everything I saw in a vision Paul preached. I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ now liveth in me. I was buried with Him in baptism of death. I was raised together with Him, Ephesians 2 says, and seated in heavenly places. And I go over that whole vision and how that we, and I specifically, even as a Christian, was identifying still with Adam and my flesh and my fallen side versus my new identification in Christ. And see, in Christ... You, dear ones, have been made the very righteousness of God. You've been made righteous with the very righteousness of Jesus on the inside of you. Do you know how few people really believe that? Some people will dare mentally ascend to it, but very few people believe when they come to God in the name of Jesus, they stand in the presence of God as if they have kept the entire law. The righteousness of the law has been fulfilled in us who walk not after the Spirit. But after the flesh, if you believed you had the very righteousness of Jesus on the inside of you and that God sees you in Jesus, you could ask for anything and believe you could get it. And yet, why do we struggle like we struggle? Because of condemnation. Why do we doubt God isn't going to heal us? Why do we doubt God doesn't will to prosper us? Why? Why? Because of condemnation. Because of guilt. Many of you, I love you, but you're carrying guilt from a past life that has been buried. Others of you, since you've gotten saved, you've made a mistake and you've fallen. You don't understand how deep your forgiveness is and how far-reaching your forgiveness is and how your righteousness is in Jesus, not in your own personal holiness. Some of you labor under a cloud of condemnation. You, I guarantee you have friends that labor under a cloud of condemnation because they haven't gotten a revelation of who they are in Jesus and this new identification, and in it you've been made the very righteousness of God. Listen to 2 Corinthians. Let me just give you one. i got to get out of this introduction. Amen? And I'm serious. Second Corinthians 5.21. Second Corinthians 5.17 is my favorite scripture in the Bible because of us becoming a new creation now and what that means. Verse 21 says, For he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us. Who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Did everybody see that or hear that? I think they threw it up. They at least threw the reference up. Nope, they threw the scripture up. Good job. Good job. Now watch this. Jesus did not sin to become sin on the cross. Can I get a witness on that? That's not a good enough witness, young people. Pay attention. No matter what you're hearing... And Googling, Jesus did not sin to be made sin on the cross. Whose sin was he made sin with then? Because sin had to be at the cross because Jesus couldn't die if there was no sin involved. Now I'm in a hurry. And and just, just don't ask me back. That'll solve this problem. But I'm gonna say this and it's gonna go over half your heads, but it's the truth. If Jesus hadn't went to the cross, and by His free will, offered Himself a sacrifice for sin, and God the Father make Him sin, put your sin in His body, Jesus would still be alive in the body that Mary provided for Him on the earth today. He would have never died. Because it's sin that brings death. And Jesus had no sin. He would still be alive in the body that Mary provided for Him. But we know He died. Historically, we know He died and biblically, we know he died. There had to be sin there. But he didn't sin to be made sin. God made him sin with whose sin? Your sin and my sin. Now, if Jesus can be made sin without sinning, why can't you and I be made righteous without works? Yeah, you felt. I felt it. You felt it. You got it. If you really get it, your life will be changed. Your attitude will be changed. How you treat people will be changed. How you deal with lost people in Adam will be changed. Because if Jesus can be made sin without sinning, then I can be made righteous without works. It was harder for God to make the Son of God sin without sinning than it is to make me an old sinner, the very righteousness of God, without works. If Jesus was made sin with my sin, whose righteousness have I been made with? Jesus's. You have the very righteousness of Jesus on the inside of you by grace. You can believe for anything. You can see anything in your life. You can make a mega major difference everywhere you go if you understand God's not condemning you. And if you learn to deal with all this guilt and condemnation and sin conscience, you can see the sick healed. You know, I don't talk about this much. I have a friend that I minister with. He's pretty famous, and he's literally seen, he, he saw his son raised from the dead after being dead for hours. I've seen five people raised from the dead, and you know what, I thought if I ever saw the dead raised, I would think I arrived, and the biggest shock that happened is when I prayed for somebody and they came back from the dead and I didn't feel nothing, I didn't feel any holier, I didn't feel any closer to God, and now when I think about five people being raised from the dead, it depresses me. Because we ought to be seeing a lot more than that raised from the dead. All of us. And yet, how do you even communicate to the church at large? We can truly see the dead raised if we really knew our new identification and how righteous we are without our works. I'm not saying we don't have personal holiness. I'm not saying we shouldn't live holy lives. I'm not saying any of that. I don't have time to explain all of that. I'm saying my relationship with God is based totally on my faith in the finished work of Jesus And if Jesus was made sin with all of my sin, I've been made righteous with all of his righteousness. And so when I pray in his name, it's as if he's praying. I can see miracles. And I have. Hundreds, thousands of miracles. Because of just righteousness by by faith. In Romans chapter 5, it parallels Adam with Christ. And it says that all of us were made sinners by one man's sin, Adam's. How many of you kind of know what I'm saying when I say that? You were made sinner, not by your personal sins, but by one man's sin. How was you and I made a sinner? We got born into this life. (laughs) Everybody born human is a sinner. And it wasn't their personal sins that made them a sinner. It was Adam's sin. How many of you honestly understand what I'm saying? Man, that blesses me. Pastor's done a really good job. All right. if I was born into sin by one man's disobedience, Romans chapter 5 says, then it makes perfect sense how to get out of sin. You have to get born out of sin. And if one man got you into sin through first birth, then the second man, the last Adam, can get you out of sin by new birth. When you got born again, you were born again with the very righteousness of Jesus himself. Man, that blesses me. I'm sorry that I got off on all of this. But I am so glad I came. I needed to hear this. Amen. This is good news. And when you start processing it, when you start living it as a church, it's incredible. What it does and what we can see in our communities. If we can understand who we are in Christ. And begin to practically walk that out. Well. When it says in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. That means God is not condemning any of us. Under the old covenant law, under the law of Moses, God did punish sin. God did pour wrath out. When the law came, have you ever thought about this? Why didn't God give the law to Adam and Eve? Now don't answer these questions out loud. Let me ask and then answer them. It works better. But I want you to think, if the law of Moses was God's plan and it was so good like what I was brought up under, why didn't God give the law to Adam and Eve? Why didn't he give it to Enoch? Why didn't he give it to Noah? Why didn't he give it to Abraham? Why didn't he give it to Isaac or Jacob? Why did God wait so long to give the law? Because God knew when the law came, wrath from heaven would come. And God didn't want to pour wrath out on people. Amen or only. If you don't think God is long-suffering, if you don't think God is patient and kind, see, people have lived under that law so long, they think God is touchy and mad and mean all the time. They don't understand before that law, God was so patient with man. God loved people so much and didn't hold their sin against them that this planet got to a place one time that there were only eight righteous people on the whole planet. Think about that. God's long-suffering, God-loving people, but them not loving him back. God-loving people unconditionally, but they living in sin that was destroying them and destroying the planet. Sin destroys everything it touches. And we got down to eight people before God flooded the earth. And you know what Genesis chapter 6 says about that? That the imagination of man was evil continually all the day long. Anybody besides me had some bad thoughts lately? Nobody? Pray for me. I've had some bad thoughts. That said that their thoughts, their imagination was evil continually. That's how far man went into sin. And God loved him and loved him and didn't hold it against him. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Before the law. Before Moses, sin was in the world, but where there is no law, sin's not imputed. Impute means hold against you. Did you know God didn't hold Cain's sin against him? Did you know God loved Cain and God warned Cain that, man, sin is lying at the door. Why is your countenance falling? Am I going too fast? Am I all right, pastor? I'm I'm, I'm just going to blow up is what's happening. I love this stuff. I love knowing God by the Spirit. I love looking at Jesus who killed nobody's kids, who put sickness. Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Jesus didn't make anybody sick. He didn't make anybody poor. He didn't kill anybody's kids. Why? He came to show us God. Why did he have to do that? Because religious people were mixed up. Just like religious people are still mixed up today. God loved Cain and God warned Cain, why is your countenance fallen? You need to do what's right, boy. Sin lies at the door and it desires you, but you can overcome it. And then Cain kills his brother. God holds him accountable to it. Where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Smart aleck in the presence of God. God talking to him. And he's shaking his fist at God. Am I my brother's keeper? Your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. Because you've done this, there's consequences. There's always consequences to sin, so don't misunderstand me. But I'm saying God didn't hold it over him. I just taught this this morning, how that the ground cursed Cain. God didn't curse Cain. The ground cursed Cain, and that's very difficult to explain. So let me move on. (laughs) Bottom line is, you'd be surprised how many of you, I love you, but you're living innocently, even coming to a good church in some places under the law and a sense of guilt and condemnation. And God wants you to know He's not condemning you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. God will never pour wrath out on you. God will never punish you. God will never curse you because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. It doesn't mean He doesn't correct us don't have time to explain that, but surely you know God loves me, and He chastens me, He corrects me, but He doesn't punish me. Punishment is wrath. Uh, I'm sorry for the introduction, but here's what I want to share. If all of that's true, and God loves me unconditionally now, and God's made me righteous by faith, and God accepts me in Jesus as righteous and truly holy, why do so many of us struggle with condemnation? Where does all this condemnation come from? And how do we, how do we diagnose it? And here's where I'm just going to highlight this for you. How do we diagnose where is this coming from? And how do I overcome it? Because every one of you have friends that aren't serving God right now, and I can promise you they're condemned over something. People who wind up quitting church, most of the time, nine out of ten times, they've messed up, they failed, or they're failing and they can't break a sin cycle in their life and they get discouraged, and they feel condemned, and they don't know how to deal with the guilt and condemnation, and the devil will even call them a hypocrite, so they say, well, I'm not going to be a hypocrite, so I'm just going to quit church because I can't live it. I'm falling short. I still make these mistakes. And they live under that guilt and condemnation. Condemnation, let me give you the quickest definition since I've taken too long in my introduction. Condemnation means literally unfit for use unfit for use, disqualified for use. When we condemn a building, you can drive around this city and you can find areas in the city where we've condemned buildings. What does that mean? They're unfit for use. Anytime you have felt unfit, unworthy for God's use, that's condemnation in your heart. And God's not the one condemning you. God's gifts and calling are without repentance. God's not forsook you. I don't care how many pieces of stupid you've done. We all do a piece of stupid, even as Christians. And it doesn't get any better when you're a pastor. I mean, I'm doing better than anybody in my church, I think. But I still mess up, right? I'm doing better than I was doing 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago for sure. But I still mess up. Anybody else still mess up after you got saved? And you feel guilty. And you feel bad. And you feel unfit for use. The reason you can't mobilize most churches and get them serving is people will come to church, but they still feel disqualified. They feel like, you know, I'm not worthy. I, I'm, not, I'm not fit for use in the children's church or the youth or on and on I could go. So where does all this come from? Let me fly through this. There are four sources of condemnation that you're going to have to learn to deal with if you're going to walk with the Lord. If you're, going to, if you're going to be in this for the long haul because we mess up. This side seems to be responding a little better. More of you messed up on this side. Do you know if I didn't know what I'm fixing to highlight for you. If I didn't know it, I wouldn't have made it in ministry. And today this ministry is literally reaching millions of people now. And I love Jesus with all of my heart. And I'm transparent as a pastor. And when I mess up, I fess up. So if I didn't know what I'm about to download immediately into you, I probably wouldn't even be in ministry. Because as I got into ministry, and I did see the fruit. Everybody say fruit. Fruit. The fruit of holiness in my life. Because holiness is a fruit. It's a byproduct of what a tree already is. I did begin to see the fruit of holiness in my life. But I thought the more I did better, I would never make a mistake. That's why a lot of preachers fail in their latter years even, is because they think that too. That somehow another I after my flesh am better. No, there's no good thing in my flesh. Without Jesus, I would be as messed up as anybody in that world. And let me give you a heads up, so would you without the grace of God in your life and the Holy Spirit working, you would be doing the craziest things that the world is is doing today. And if you understood that, that's a part of what keeps us all humble and walking upright before God and and man in being a blessing. Because I thought, man, I'm going to get so holy as I walk with God and get close to God and I get ministry I'll never mess up. I'll get to a point where, man, I just don't mess up. So when I'd mess up, even though it wasn't as bad as the mess-ups I used to be, it would eat my lunch. Sue would just have to slap me. I'd be crying over something. And, man, I have failed miserably, and I'm not worthy. I need to just get out of the ministry. And she'd say, okay, what'd you do? And I'd tell her, and she'd go, that's all? Okay, you don't get it. All right. Four sources. Number one. Number one, and we'll fly through it quickly, the devil. The devil is the one condemning. In, in Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, it talks about the saints and us overcoming him. And it says, and they, the saints, overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives now unto death. It is the devil, and verse 10 calls him the accuser of the brethren. Satan accuses us before God day and night. And listen, because God is in your heart, you hear him accusing you before God day and night. Did you catch that? Satan accuses us day and night before God. Where's God? He's on the inside of you now. He's in your spirit man. So you and I overhear the conversation with him condemning us before God. So how do we overcome it? What's the cure of of condemnation that comes from the devil? The blood of the lamb. What's that? That's the work of the cross. You'll never exercise your authority over the devil properly until you see what Jesus did for you at the cross. It's by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. We mix faith with what Jesus is and who Jesus is. That's how we overcome the devil. We have to learn our authority, the authority of the believer. We have to learn to bind certain things and loose certain things. And when it comes to the devil condemning me, I overcome him by the authority I have in Jesus now. And I can stand against the lies of the devil against me because of the blood of Jesus. Because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did, I can overcome the devil now through faith in Jesus. And so this thing about the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony, that's an ongoing revelation in your life. Of all Jesus has done for you, and you get established in it, you can absolutely bind the devil and shut that down. And it took me a while to do it, but I learned how to do it, and I finally shut him down. Because listen, who is the devil to condemn you? The devil's the devil. I don't care how bad you are. You're not as bad as the devil. And so there's a point where you see who you are in Jesus, and you think, what am I doing letting the devil Condemn me. So you learn to bind that. And actually, that's the easiest one. And yet, people go to church their whole life and never realize. It's the devil that's condemning you. It's not God. God's not pushing you down. The difference between condemnation and conviction. The devil condemns you and condemnation is pushing you down and away from God. Conviction is God pulling you up and toward him. Okay, wish I could share on that. Number two, number two, and this is a revelation for most people, number two source of condemnation is your heart. Your own heart condemns you. It's called your conscience. And having a sensitive conscience is a good thing, not a bad thing, but it can betray you. Now listen to this scripture. I'm just going to quote it because we're running out of time. In 1 John 3, 20, 21, John says, If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. If our heart condemn us not, we have confidence toward God. Think about that. That just said it's your heart that's condemning you, your own heart. That's why we assemble together and we we develop great church culture. And the family of God is we have to encourage one another when we mess up because our own conscience will be defiled and it will condemn us before God. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 says that we have to take the blood of Jesus and that by the Holy Spirit purge our conscience from dead works in order to serve the living God. If you don't know how to do this, you'll mess up and you'll wind up your own heart condemning you and won't shut up. And it'll drive you away from God, your own conscience. See, what the world does is they're trying to silence their conscience. The world and those in Adam sear their conscience with a hot iron so that they can sin and not feel anything anymore. This is what a serial killer, a sociopath does. is, is you, have to, you have to sear your conscience. and The Bible talks about this. Searing your conscience with a hot iron. And it talks about many being defiled that have done that. See, so your conscience is a good thing, but it doesn't know everything. And it'll tell you you're sorry and no good And I am so glad God's greater than my conscience and knows all things. What does God know that my conscience doesn't know sometimes? Is I am forgiven. God's already forgiven me. I don't have to get Him to forgive me. He's already forgiven me of all sins. Past, present, and future tense. That's not enough of you. You know Jesus bore all of your sins at the cross. I preached this one time and literally the leadership got together the vote To shut the meeting down. Because I said God can forgive a sin before you commit it. The bad news is I won the vote. I had to stay. That will hit you later. Just let that go. They were mad at me because I told the people God can forgive a sin and has forgiven a sin before you even commit it. I don't know if you've thought this out, but when did God forgive us? He forgave us at Calvary. When did He put our sins in the flesh of Jesus? Jesus is not dying for your sin. If you sin today, He's already died. When did God judge your sin and condemn your sin in His flesh? At the cross. When did God curse Him for all of your sins? When did God pour wrath out uh, upon Him? For all of your sins. 2,000 years ago, listen dear ones, all of our sins are future tense. So don't tell me God can't forgive a sin before you commit it. He forgave you in Jesus 2,000 years. Well, then why did I have to get saved? And, And didn't He forgive me when I got saved? No, you received your forgiveness when you got saved. God didn't forgive you. You received His forgiveness. And so when you sin or if you sin, your conscience bothers you. You have to know why we repent. There's a controversy, and I don't know if John's on this. We don't get to fellowship. There's a controversy in the church, even among some of my friends. I'm talking about the worldwide church on believers repenting of sin and how that believers don't have to confess any sins. They were already forgiven, just like I said. We are already forgiven. But while God's not condemning me for my sin, and while God loves me unconditionally, and while God has extended mercy and forgiveness... When or if I sin, it affects me. It affects my conscience. And I have to go and confess it to receive my forgiveness and Him cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Cleanse my conscience. Purge my conscience. If you sin against one another, you need to repent. Sin hurts people. Does God still love you? Absolutely. Did God turn on you? Absolutely not. But does sin still hurt people? And does sin still affect our bodies? And does sin still affect our conscience? Absolutely. And so we have to go to the throne and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And the Holy Spirit purges my conscience. I say, Father, thank you for providing for that. Thank you for judging Jesus for that. But you did not forgive me for all of my sins, even future tense, for me to live in them, who his own self, 1 Peter 2, 24, who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. See, I'm living out my righteousness not to earn anything from God, but to keep Satan at bay who uses sin to steal, kill, and destroy in my life. So I need to repent not to get God to love me. He never quit loving me. Not to go to heaven. I'm already seated in heaven. I repent because I need my conscience purged. And God knows what I don't know sometimes is that He loves me unconditionally. Is that He's already forgiven me. He's already paid for it. Don't beat myself up. Don't do penance. Do repentance and be washed of it and cleansed of it. And now let's move on. If you don't get this, and it's so sad, people don't listen And then they make some mistakes, and they don't know how to get out of it. And they feel like God's even rejecting them, and He's not. It's your conscience that's bothering you. All right, number three. Number three is others. Others are the source of condemnation in our lives. And I'm not talking about a sci-fi movie, Others. I'm talking about other people. Amen? I'm talking about our parents sometimes. I'm talking about our kids sometimes. I'm talking about preachers, even innocently, that condemn us. Paul said, Can we? I don't even know when I started. I know I've got to be out of time, so I'm trying to. I'm, I'm getting close. But can we, go, can we look at a scripture here together, one? Because this one's new to people. Go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. I'm going to share something with you, I promise you, that is going to revolutionize your walk with God and one another. 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 7, look at verse 2, Second Corinthians 7, verse 2, this is Paul speaking now, look at what he says, open your hearts to us, we have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we have cheated no one, okay, it's not fair for me to expect a response when I haven't Shared what I'm about to share, I guess. This is Paul. This is the guy who was Saul of Tarsus that held the coats of them and stirred up a mob, stirred them up, inflamed a mob to kill Stephen, the first martyr in the Bible. This is a guy, if you read his epistles, he confesses and admits that he imprisoned Christians. He flogged them in the synagogues trying to get them to recant the name of Jesus. So what's he talking about? Receive us. We've wronged no man. We've defrauded no man. This is a man that's standing in the righteousness of Jesus, a forgiven man without a past in the mind of God. That's huge. I don't care what you've done in your past. It needs to go into your past. You need to see who you are right now in Jesus a man or a woman, without a past. Then he says, look at the next verse. This is over the top. I do not say this to condemn. For I've said before that you're in our hearts to die together and to live together. I didn't say this to condemn you. In other words, you could say it this way. Many times we say things and we condemn people. We don't mean to. But other people can condemn you if you let them. Well, there's a proverb that says, He that justifies the wicked and he that condemns the just, both are an abomination to God. Yeah, a few of you heard it. If I stood up here and purposely from my heart condemned you, the just, those that have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus, that's an abomination to God. Now, if I justify the wicked, that's an abomination. And most Christians get that. That's right. We cannot justify the wicked. But then turn right around and condemn the just. The Bible says both are an abomination to God. Isn't that huge? Now watch this. This is going to change you. This is huge. This is huge. It's sinking in on a couple of you. You're going to love this. This is huge. How do I deal with people condemning me? Because if you're going to live your faith, people are going to try to condemn you. If you're a college student, you're going to be condemned in every class if you live your faith. In the workplace, we're condemned all the time if we want to do what's right. We're called hypocrites all the time. We're called all kinds of names. How do you deal with people condemning you? Because if you let those words, did you know words, the power of life and death are in the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Words can get in your heart and mess you up. My parents, I I led both my parents to the Lord. They're in heaven now. But they condemned me. And even when I, my mother condemned me till her dying day. She, She met Jesus and repented to me on her deathbed. In tears. Never having heard me preach because she was so angry at me Because she thought God killed my brother. My brother died. Long story. We won't go there. She thought God did it. And religious people told her under the law, God did it for our sins. And so she's mad at God. And here I'm going all over the world telling everybody how good God is. She was mad at me and condemned me right up to her dying day. How did I deal with that? How did I not let that get in my heart? All right, here we go. Here's the revelation. Isaiah 54, I believe it's Isaiah 54 verse 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up in judgment, you shall condemn, for your righteousness is of the Lord, says the Lord. You know what we do? Someone condemns us with their tongue and we condemn them right back. And that's why many of us are locked into death and can't seem to break out. I've never condemned a human being in my life, but I have condemned a lot of tongues. I've condemned a lot of words. I told my mom, she did, she'd get mad at me because I wouldn't call. And I, I finally, I just in love said, well, mom, I, why would I call? You're just going to cuss me out on the phone before it's over with. Amen. I'll call you more if you'll quit cussing me out. I don't know if that makes sense to y'all, but it's a lot easier to call somebody when they quit cussing. You know, all those words. I couldn't condemn my mom. I had to honor my, my parents so I could live long on the earth and things would go well for me. But see, I wouldn't receive the tongue. I wouldn't receive the words. She would call me all kinds of names and I would condemn the tongue. I would say, no, God says I'm this No matter what that tongue says, I condemn that tongue, that weapon that was formed against me. I condemn the words, and I put the word of God and what God says about me in my heart now. I'm telling you, I just changed somebody's life. Maybe they're not here, but I just changed somebody's life right there. Because we don't know how to handle our parents condemning us, employers condemning us, employees, friends. Condemning us, the world condemning us because we want to live pure lives and we want to teach our children sexual purity. And all you got to do is turn the TV on and you're condemned. You're called intolerant. You're called unloving. You're called all kinds of names. And we got to love those people, but we have to condemn those words and not let them get in our heart. And the church is filled with people, with the words of others. In their hearts that are condemning them. So they don't witness anymore. They don't share their faith anymore. Man, I'm preaching better than you're responding. No, no, it's my fault. But I'm just saying. That's huge. And then I'll quit with this. I've kept you too long. I love you. And just had a lot on my heart for you. The fourth one is the law. The law. And more people are living under the law than they really realize. They're approaching God on the basis of works, legalism, holiness, personal conduct. Not even realizing anytime you approach God to earn something from Him, you're approaching Him under law. God, I've done this and done this and done this. Will you heal me now? That's law. God, I've done this and I've done this. Will you bless me now? That's law. And you don't realize how subtle it is and how you just innocently... Churches, uh, I see churches innocently coming back under law, not realizing the law is the source of guilt and condemnation in people's lives. As soon as I go, Lord, I've done this and done this and done this, I just subjected myself to guilt and condemnation because no matter what I've done, that I consider holiness and worthy of earning something from God... It is a filthy rag in the eyes of God compared to the holiness of Jesus that I have by faith. Amen. Man, I apologize. I have said a lot fast. But this is just huge in people's lives. And it does take time to walk it out. It does take time to explain it. You need to elaborate further on this and further on that. But I'm going to quote one scripture in closing for you. Romans chapter 6. Before I quote it, because I said I was going to quit. What is the cure of condemnation that comes from Satan? My identification with Jesus by the blood of the Lamb, the work of the cross, and me adding my testimony. I believe Jesus died and was raised on the third day, and I've confessed Him as Lord. That's my testimony. I overcome the devil now. And I stand on the finished work of Christ in my life. That's how I overcome Him. How do I cure and how do I overcome guilt that my heart is condemning me? I go to God and I confess my sin to Him and I receive my forgiveness and cleansing. If I sin against a pastor, friend like Eric, I would confess my fault one to another that I might be healed. I would apologize to him and say, I'm sorry, I I was wrong there. I'm not saying that to get God to love me now. I'm saying that because when we confess our faults one to another, James 5.16 says, we get healed. I need healed of that. That was wrong, and I need my conscience purged. I'm not going to live the rest of my life with my conscience condemning me for something I did wrong to your pastor. No, I'm going to confess it to your pastor and say, I was wrong, please forgive me. What if he doesn't forgive me? That's his problem. My heart's healed. My conscience is purged. I made a mistake. I owned it, and I confessed it. So that's the cure there. The cure for others condemning me is I condemn the tongue, not the person. All right, what's the cure for the law and living under law? Romans 6 14 says, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. I've spent my entire life seeking God. What does it mean to be under grace? How could I spend my whole life? and explain very much in our limited time together. This is a journey we're all on. What does it mean to be under grace? What does that really mean? What does it mean, the rhythms of grace in our life? What does it mean that the Bible says it's good that the heart be established in grace, not in meats that have profited no one, that are exercised thereby? Amen. Amen. Boy, that's a controversial scripture just came to me. It's like, man, if you're condemning people for eating meat, you're out of line. If you want to be a vegetarian, there's nothing wrong with that. And if you don't want to eat meat, don't eat meat. But did you know the Bible says to forbid others to, meet, to eat meat is a doctrine of the devil? <laughs> man, this is a bad place to Stop. It's like, man, I didn't work my way to the top of the food chain to be a vegetarian. Amen. (laughs) My point was, it's good that the heart be established in grace. Not in the eating or not eating of certain meats. And yet, that's just one example. If you go to most churches, we're caught up in 50 things that really doesn't matter. Instead of getting the heart established in grace. And what does it mean to come boldly to the throne of grace? Not the throne of law. The throne of grace. And obtain mercy. Anybody besides me need mercy? Yeah, we all need mercy. And can you imagine if we were getting it every day, how easy it would be to give it to the world? Amen. Man, I hope I didn't confuse anybody. But I love you. I hope you were blessed. Did you get anything? Amen. Father, I just thank You for Your amazing grace. I thank You for the rhythms of grace in my own life. I thank You for the fruit of holiness and that we need to be a holy people even as You are a holy God. But if we don't understand why holiness and how holiness, we'll get caught up in our own holiness, which is a filthy rag. I don't want to be found, like Paul said, at Your appearing and Your kingdom in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus. Thank you, God, for this church. This community desperately needs the good news. There's just an unbelievable harvest out there. And I pray that you stir our hearts, how that you're not condemning us and that the very righteousness of the law has been given to us by simple faith in Jesus and to get that good news out. To get the news of God's love for people out. I bless Eric and Heather and their labor of love, their work of faith, and their patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you multiply and bless them in Jesus' name and for His glory. And everybody said amen and amen. Pastor, I love you. Come on up. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com